You know, we're here a week from Christmas Eve. Um, gift openings are uh, ahead of us. Uh, I've learned that, that there's different approaches in families to the whole gift opening um, fiasco. Uh, some people, if you can imagine this room as a, a spectrum, some people on this end of the spectrum, every gift gets opened one at a time with the full attention of everyone in the room upon that person. And after they open the gift, they have to lift it up and everyone has to see it. The gift giver has to give a small speech on why they gave that gift. <laughs> the gift receiver writes a haiku to say thank you. And then they go to the, the next gift. Uh, on this end of the spectrum, you know who you are. It's just chaos. I mean, it's just, it is, it's just a blur of wrapping paper being torn uh, apart. It's, it's a free-for-all madhouse. Uh, I don't know where you are, but wherever you are, I hope that you're okay with it, and I hope that you enjoy your gift giving. Um, I wanted to help you out this morning, because some of you are going to inevitably receive a gift this year that you're not excited about, and so I did some research this week on how do you respond to a Christmas gift that you're not excited about, all right? I'm going to save some of you some arguments and some angst if you'll just listen to this real quick. The first key is once you open the gift, do not pause too long. <laughs> Don't pause too long. A long pause does not communicate gratitude and excitement. As you're unwrapping the gift, tell yourself internally, smile. Just smile. Because you might think you're smiling, but your face will tell a story. So just prep yourself to smile. And then once you open it, no matter what your first thought is, your first word should be, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful. And then ask a question. Not like, what were you thinking? But, but ask, a, ask a question like, do you have one of these? Or, or, or what made you think of me for this? Or how do you suggest I use this thing? So, you know, ask a question to kind of get them sharing a little bit about what they were thinking. And then last and maybe most importantly, write down who gave it to you so you don't give it back to them. Next year, right, right. So you're welcome. Little five-step process to responding to a gift that you aren't excited about. We are, uh, we are in our Christmas series called Arrival. And last week we talked about the arrival of the light. And on Christmas Eve we're going to talk about the arrival of the sun, S-O-N. But this morning I want to talk to you about the arrival of the gift, the gift. And as a church, we've been doing a 12-day Christmas reading plan using version Bible app called Christmas Presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, Christmas Presence. And it's been really interesting to kind of read through all the gifts of Christmas, and I've really enjoyed reading your comments, and I hope that you'll continue to finish that with us or jump in if you haven't been in yet. But this morning, I want to talk to you about the arrival of the gift. And you know, I've been a pastor in one capacity or another for 25 years now, um, and in that time, I think I have never preached a message on this passage, and you're going to be surprised to learn that this morning's passage is probably the most famous scripture in all of the Bible, John chapter 3, verses 16, and then also verse 17. And while I'm sure I have referenced this verse in many sermons, I don't recall ever actually preaching a message from this verse, but this is our text this morning, John 3, verses 16 and 17. It's on the screen. You probably don't even need to look. You know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, also beautiful and powerful. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Amen? Amen. 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. So I want to talk to you this morning about the gift. And anytime there's a gift, there's three things that must exist. There's a giver. Someone has to give a gift. There's a recipient. Someone has to receive the gift. And then there should be a purpose behind the gift, right? The giver, the recipient, and the purpose. And we're going to use that as our outline this morning to look at John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Who is the giver? Who is the recipient? And what is the purpose of this gift? So let's talk first about the giver. John writes, for God so loved the world that he, God, gave his one and only son. God is the giver. A.W. Tozer said this, one of his most famous quotes, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about you, the most important thing about me. And when you think about God, what comes into your mind? For some people, they see a disappointed figure who is frustrated with them and maybe even angry with them and maybe disappointed with them. Some people see God as a sort of genie in the bottle that when you get yourself into trouble, you just kind of hope that uh, you can rub the magic lamp and he'll show up and grant you your, your wish. Some people see God as a servant who waits on them or exists to make them happy. Some people see God as disconnected and disinterested and, and, and far away. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. There are many false conceptions about God. And uh, years ago, there was a landmark research project done that uncovered a really um, sort of startling truth. And it was the truth that young people who grew up in the church believed things about God that were not true. And in fact, what they discovered was that what a lot of the young people who grew up in church believed could not even be called Christianity. So they had to come up with a different term, and they came up with a term, and it's, it's a mouthful, but I'm gonna, it's actually easy to understand. But the term is moralistic therapeutic deism. Moralistic therapeutic deism. What it basically means is that most people in church believed that God wanted them just to behave and to be happy and to be in touch every now and then. Moralistic, behave, be good. Therapeutic, be happy, and deism, which is just a distant relationship with an impersonal God. And so what they believed, number one, was that God wants me to be good. But if God just wanted you to be good, and I'm not saying he doesn't want us to live right, but if God's primary purpose was for us to behave and be good, then all he needed to give us was a rule book full of consequences. And if I just can say, that's how some people actually view the Bible. It's just a rule book filled with consequences, but that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is a story about a God who will go to any lengths to have a people for himself. It's a story of God's love. And so if God just wanted us to be good, then all he had to do was send an example in his son. And yes, Jesus is the perfect example, but to see Jesus as only an example is to miss the biggest thing Jesus has to give us. If I'm at a Christmas party with Aaron, my wife, and I go around and I start introducing her to people who don't know her, and I say, hey, this is Aaron, a woman. It's not a great introduction, right? <laughs> this is Aaron, a woman. Is it incorrect? No, she's a woman. But it doesn't speak of what she primarily is to me. She's not just a woman, she is my wife. So I would say, this is Aaron, my wife. And when we talk about Jesus, this is Jesus, an example, 
Is it untrue? Of course not. It's very true. But is it complete? Absolutely not. Jesus did not come primarily to be our example. Jesus came primarily to be our substitutes, to live the life that you and I could never live. With a thousand chances to get it right, you and I wouldn't get it right. And yet Jesus comes as our substitute. So if God only wanted us to be good, then he would have only sent Jesus as an example. In fact, if all he needed us to do was be good, then Jesus didn't need to be perfect. He only needed to be better than the best of us, and then he could be the perfect example. But you and I don't just need an example. We need a substitute. If God just wanted us to be happy, then you know what he would have given us? A painless existence and an easy life. Anybody have that? Painless existence and easy life. If God just wanted us to be happy, then he would give us everything we ever asked for, even if it wasn't good for us. But he doesn't just want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. He wants us to be his. He wants us to trust him. And if God just wanted a distant, occasional relationship with us, he never would have sent to us his son. He sent himself to us. He came to be with us. And it's important that when we think about the giver of this gift that we see God rightly. And, you know, gifts have a way of revealing things about the giver. Next weekend, when you open up gifts, you're going to learn things about the people who give you those gifts. Right? My youngest daughter, Maddie, who's nine, a couple years ago, um, her favorite toy was, and I think in some ways still is, these little LOL dolls. You've heard me talk about them before. These little LOL dolls where you, you buy this, this thing and you don't know what you get until you open it up. In other words, you've already paid for it, and then you find out what you paid for. It never would have worked 30, 40 years ago. Nobody was spending money back then on things that they didn't know what they were getting, but now we're all in on it. And so she loves these LOL dolls, and, and, and it's her favorite thing in the world. I won't even tell you how many of them that she has, but a couple Christmases ago when my wife said, Maddie, what do you want to get for daddy? She thought about it for like a half a second. She said, I think he would like an LOL doll. <laughs> the gift reveals something about the giver. <laughs> and the gift reveals two things about the nature of God. And I want us to see this quickly here. The first thing is this, is that God is aware of our worst. He's aware of our worst. See, if we just need a little bit of help, he didn't have to send his son. But we needed something radical. We needed something incredible. And he sends his son. God is aware. He sees the world in our lostness. As we talked about last week, in our darkness, our inability to see our way through things, our inability to see ourselves properly. And God sees us in that darkness. He sees us at our worst. And there's two things about him here. He's big enough to do something about it, thank God. But he's also good enough to do something about it. He's big enough, and if God is big enough to see us in our worst and do something, then what that means is we can trust him even when we don't understand him. That really is the journey of the Christian faith, trusting God's heart even when we can't understand his hand. We can't see what he's doing, but we trust in who he is. And if God is big enough to actually do something about the sins of the world and the corruption of the world and the curse that is on the world, then we also have to assume that there are things that he will do at times that we will not understand. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. He's big enough, and he's also good enough. And if he's good enough, then we can be certain that whatever explanation exists for whatever pain is in our life, and it's real, and whatever things we are going through, and they are many, the explanation is never that he does not love us, that he has forgotten us. When we look at the cross and we see God who did not spare the life of his own son, 
then and only then can we believe he works all things out for good for those who love him and are called to his purposes. God is aware of our worst, yet here's the good news. He does not give up on us. He does not turn his back on us. Some of you have seen each other at your worst, and it takes a lot of strength and forgiveness and love to move forward. Well, none of us have actually seen each other at our absolute worst because we hide that from each other, but God has seen us at our worst, and yet he does not turn his back. He has never turned his back on you. He has never given up on you. In fact, the opposite, he sent his best for you. And that's the other thing we learn about the nature of God. Not just is he aware of our worst, he is generous with his best. His best. As a, as a, as a parent, it's hard for me to imagine choosing to bring any pain into my daughter's lives. It's hard for me to uh, imagine intentionally choosing to bring risk into their life, to cause them to suffer. But then the thought of choosing for them to suffer in the place of people who hate me and are my enemies and are against me, I I cannot even begin to comprehend the love of the Father, that he would send to us his Son, whom he has eternally existed with. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been together from eternity past to eternity future. That the Father would send the Son. He is generous with his best. So who is the giver? He's God, and he's aware of our worst, and he's generous with his best. Second thing that we want to learn this morning is who are the recipients? And the recipients, according to this verse in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world, the world, We are the ones who have received this gift. Now, a good gift is something I need, right? When you're going to get a gift this weekend, when you open it up and you realize this is something I need, that's a good gift. But a great gift is something I didn't know I needed. (laughs) And then I see it and I go, how did you think of this? I didn't even know this existed, but I I need this. This is actually how I feel uh, almost every time I walk through Costco's. I'm like, I didn't know I needed that 10 minutes ago, but Aaron, we need that. Like, we... We can't live without that version of a deep fryer, right? So this is a great gift, something that I didn't know I needed. And so what did we need? What did the world need? Two things. First, the world needs to be saved. I mean, look around this world. We, we don't just need a little improvement. We don't need a little boost. We don't just need good advice. We don't need, you know, just more information. We, we got too much information, <laughs> We don't need human progress, and God bless technology, but it's never going to save us. We don't need social sciences rightly applied. Better governing is never going to actually fix the human heart. We don't just need more effort, even more religious effort. What we ultimately need is to be saved. And we are those who have received the gift of salvation, and the reason why it's so valuable is because the truth is not only do we need it, we didn't even know we needed it. If it wasn't for God's grace, you and I wouldn't even know we need saving. But because God's grace finds us at our worst and offers us his best, we can see what we need. And being saved means that we were lost, lost without hope. And if we're lost without hope, then someone or something has to act from the outside on our behalf. There was never any way that you and I were going to save ourselves. And so God sent his son into the world to save us. The world needs to be saved. But the other thing that the world needs is that the world needs to believe. The world needs to believe. 
There is a response on our part to the grace of God that is extended to our hearts. And it's this idea of where the, John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not that everyone ever will have eternal life. That's not the promise. We don't believe in universalism, that regardless of how you live or what you believe, someday it's going to be okay. That's not what this verse teaches. This verse teaches that there are some that will perish, but it's not God's desire that they would perish. So what do we do? Whoever believes in him. And that believing in him, although it can sound like a work that we do to earn something, it is really just a response to the grace of God. It is a not resisting, it is a receiving. Nobody's going to receive a gift this weekend from someone else and then brag about their ability to receive a gift. Look at how good I am at opening gifts. Look at how good I am at getting stuff from people. Aren't I an amazing gift receiver? And in the same way, the world needs to be saved. We need to receive this gift. Listen, the nature of belief is that it's not just in our head, it's in our hearts. And to believe something is not just cognitively, to, it's not just mental assent, like, yes, I believe. In fact, in James it says, even the demons believe and shudder. It's not just believe, it is a, it is a basing my life upon building my life upon, placing my trust and hope upon this truth of the gospel. This past Wednesday night, I was in a small group with some men in the church, and we're going through the gospel of John, and we came to a passage where in the devotional it said this, believing in Jesus is so much more than just believing with your head. Believing in Jesus is a miracle that happens in your heart. And I think sometimes we lose sight of the fact when we think of miracles that God does and we believe in a miracle working God, we might think of people who are sick being healed, people who are tied up and bound up being set free. And while those are miracles, there's no greater miracle than being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The greatest miracle any of us will ever experience is that our hearts, which are dead in sin, come alive in Christ through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Believing in Jesus is not just simply a choice that you have made. It is a miracle that God has worked in your hearts. And if we think that believing in Jesus was a choice that we made apart from the miraculous work of the grace of God and the Spirit of God, we will become prideful and arrogant in our salvation We will think, well, I chose rightly, I've done rightly, and I'm better than those who haven't. But when we remember that believing in Jesus is a miracle that happens in your heart, it makes us humble and hopeful and grateful. God's grace and his spirit alone can transfer our hearts from darkness to light so that we can see his truth and receive Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. So who is the giver of the gift? God. Who is the recipients? It's the world. It's the world that needs to be saved. It's the world that needs to believe. And then lastly, what is the purpose behind the gift? The purpose behind the gift. There, there's a purpose behind the gift. This, this weekend as you open gifts, there's reasons why people bought you that. Maybe the reason is simply you asked for it, right? As your kids get older, it's, it's harder to surprise them. It's more just they tell you what you want, what they want, and you just you, you get it if you can, right? It, it's hard to surprise people as they get older. Sometimes the reason is just you asked for it. Sometimes the reason is you paid attention, and you're, some of you are great at listening to your spouse or your children, and all year long when they mention something that they like. Uh, my daughters have gotten better at taking pictures of things that mom says she likes while they're out shopping and sending them to me and saying, this is something that mom likes, um, there's a purpose, there's a, there's a reason behind the gift. 
Um, sometimes, uh, you know, if, if someone gives you a gym membership, <laughs> there's, a, there's a message, right? There's a, there might be a purpose, uh, a meaning b- behind the gift. There is a, there's a purpose behind this gift that God gives us. I'm going to ask Pastor Antonia to join me up here. And there's two purposes that I want us to see as we finish. And the first is this. God's purpose for his gift is eternal, not temporary. Eternal, not temporary. The verse says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, forever, forever life. Last winter, I was dropping my... Uh, she was then 11 years old, my 11-year-old off at the middle school where she was going to have a Christmas choir and I was going to drop her off and come back. And it was like, it was a terrible snowstorm and I couldn't see where I was going. And I, I went over a curb in the parking lot and I didn't think much of it until I realized that I could see on my dashboard that one of my tires pressure was just, and I had I flattened this, this tire going over this curb. I think it was just the perfect combination of how cold it was and the angle I hit it at. The problem was is that when I left the house, because we only we lived like not even a half mile from our school, I didn't dress for that storm. I had flip-flops on. <laughs> I had no jacket on. Like I was just going to drop her. And I was, so this is a good public service announcement. Have warm clothes and gloves in your cars in case this happens. And God bless Al Rhodes, our, one of our head ushers here at Trinity who works for AAA. He is actually coming off of like an eight to 10 hour shift, going home to rest. And I called him and he came and, and in the freezing cold, I, it was literally, I'm not exaggerating, it was the coldest night of the year last year. It was so unbelievably cold. I couldn't be outside for more than seconds without my skin beginning to hurt. And he went and he put this spare tire on my car so that I could get home. Spare tires are great, but we know they're temporary, right? You don't want to drive on them long. You don't want to drive on them far. You don't want to drive on them too fast. And while they help us for a moment, they won't help us us forever. See, our problem was not temporary. Our problem was going to be a forever problem. We had an eternal problem. We were going to be separated from the God who loves us and created us for a relationship, not temporarily. We were going to be separated eternally. And so what does God do? He steps in, and the nature of his gift is this is a forever solution. Jesus brings us a forever solution to our temporary problems. I'm not making light of any of your temporary problems. I have my own, and I know the weight of those problems. And yet, because of Jesus, even in the midst of our temporary problems, you can have an eternal hope. I think of, I can't help but think of it this morning, you know, on Friday, the Gilbert family is here. They're sitting in this front row surrounding Ray and Kristen, this beautiful family. We were here two mornings ago celebrating Matthew's life, 48 years old. He's home with Jesus. And in this season, it would be hard to find temporary meaning in it or temporary hope. And yet there is eternal hope. And their hope is that they'll see him again. And Bethany Armelino and, and Kim Forder, who this past week uh, honored their mom's life in a service. People this time of the year are, 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 are losing and saying goodbye, but we don't say goodbye forever, right? <laughs> it's goodbye for now. It's not goodbye forever. Why? Because of this verse. Because Jesus' solution for our sin was not a temporary solution. It was an eternal solution. And so we have forever hope. And the last thing about this gift that we learn is this. The gift is salvation, not condemnation. (laughs) 
And I'm so glad because there are legitimate reasons for God to have condemned me over the last 45 years of my life. There are legitimate reasons where, why he could have given up on me. And yet God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn you and to condemn me, but to save us. If Listen, I know we, this time of the year, some kids talk about Santa, believe in Santa, it's fine, it's whatever. Santa supposedly keeps a list, right? <laughs> The song is that he, he, he watches you. It's kind of honestly a little creepy. He watches you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He's like, he's, he's doing all of these things. But, if, but if, if anyone could actually condemn us, it would have been God. Because he does watch over you. He knows you. He doesn't just know when you're sleeping and when you are awake. He knows the thoughts you have. He knows the temptations you battle. He knows the things that you struggle with and yet he did not condemn us instead he sent his son to save us and this gift that we celebrate at christmas is salvation through faith in the life and work of jesus the greatest gift ever for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life let's pray together this morning